Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I am very excited to be recording live with a Vancouverite today. This has been a long, long time coming, and it's been a long time coming because we've spent so much time together, and I keep telling the one and only Rachel McBride that we need to be in different locations so that I can record without getting too giddy and giggly. So, Rachel... Thank you for your time and for joining us today. God, thanks so much for having me. Finally, we found a time when we are, are apart. <laughs> and I will try to keep my giggling to a minimum. But the truth is I'm very excited for a conversation, hopefully unlike other podcasts that you've had. I feel like you are a very well-known entity online and especially in the triathlon circuit. You're entering your ninth season as a professional triathlete. People also know that you are a genetic nerd with two master's degrees, currently working in the sexual health space here in Vancouver. But there's lots about you that people don't know. And I think that's what's most fascinating. And to backtrack quickly, I've said this on a few previous podcasts, that I think there is lots to learn in the business world from athletes and artists and people who care enough to put themselves on a line and say, I'm going to create a life less ordinary and the risk is enormous. And I think there's a lot to learn. I mean, in many respects, you are most certainly a raging entrepreneur chasing dreams with your body on start lines. And I want to take some of that into this conversation. Do Great. You? Yeah. And I, I really resonate with that. I mean, this past spring, I participated in a surgeon's conference, a high performance surgeon's conference. And it was incredible going in there as like an athlete and as a musician and all the rest of the history that I have and the things that I've done with my life and how relevant it was to surgery and being a doctor. And so it's really, really awesome to see like all of that crossover between all the different sort of realms of work uh, and what we can all learn from each other. Oh my gosh, totally. Okay. On that note, while you might not be a surgeon, there are at least three very interesting things about you that are not in most bios or well-known about Rachel McBride. Can you give us three inside scoop nuggets? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, yeah, my bio usually skirts over a couple of different things, but I have played the cello for now going on 31 years. And it's something that's taken me all over the world uh, in a previous life playing in bands and um, working with improv dancers and in theater and that sort of thing, orchestras. It was a really, really awesome time in my life and something that I keep doing now. What else? Yeah, I mean, I guess in that vein, I'm, I feel like a super creative person that is not really able to be creative right now in the world of being an athlete. So something that I definitely think about in the future is being some sort of an artist, whether that's a musician or something and or visual artist. Otherwise, how many languages do you speak? I speak two languages. Oh. Yep, so I speak English and German. Yeah. I lived a couple of years in Germany. My, uh, Finished high, I finished high school in Berlin, and my folks lived there for about two decades, so spent a lot of time in that incredible city. That's incredible. Okay, one more. 
I am actually a dual citizen and I have lived in a lot of different places. So I have lived all over the U.S. That's where I grew up. And I spent about 10 years in Ontario. And then I've been here in Vancouver for now 12. Crazy. If you could live anywhere in the world, no strings attached, and everyone would love you the same, where would you move to? Nelson, New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) That's an easy answer. (laughs) Oh, New Zealand. Or somewhere on the South Island in New Zealand. That's where I would live, for sure. Ah, bound by no visa. She'd pick up and head to the (laughs) island. I love it. Well, a friend of ours actually told me that New Zealand is the closest you'll get to feeling like you're living in Canada. So, oh my gosh, yeah, um, everybody said that before I went there that, oh, yeah, New Zealand's just like BC. And sure, it's similar. Yeah, it looks like it, but I don't know. I think it's special in its own way. It's totally special. We don't have merinos in Vancouver like they have in New Zealand. <laughs> I know you loved your merinos. When I you did. <laughs> um, okay, so today on the podcast, the German cellist who unfortunately happens to also have writes to the U.S. of A. (laughs) We are lucky that she resides in Vancouver. I want to talk about one quote that a dear friend of mine said, that the most disruptive thing we can be in the world today is ourselves. And what I love about that and why I love that in relation to you, Rach, is I think you show up on start lines, you show up on Monday morning, you show up unapologetically in this world as yourself. And from the outside, I think it may be easy to think that that's easy for you. And I just want to know your experience with being yourself in the world today. And does it feel easy? Does it feel isolating? Tell me about the journey of being you all the time. Sure. I think that the world is becoming a more and more a place where everyone sort of feels comfortable in their own skin. And I were like expressing themselves and being who they want to be. And I've definitely sensed that, I don't know, and I think part of it is a sense of just the fact that I've grown older and more confident in myself, but also that the world is just becoming a more tolerant and acceptable place. So I feel like from a very young age, I always felt like an other. I always felt sort of outside. I never felt like I fit in, in the ways that I should fit in. And a lot of that centered around like gender and gender identity and gender expression. I never felt like I was a girl or a woman that really fit in that was super feminine. And of course, now it's, it's a lot easier to have different gender identities or gender expressions that aren't super feminine to be a cis woman, but to, you know, still identify as genderqueer and kind of, you know, go outside those norms of not needing to be super feminine. And just like being myself and my own creative self, I think I was allowed at a young age to be my creative self. And how I expressed that was, although I was a very introverted person, I kind of, my way of being extroverted was being creative with the way that I looked. And so that meant from a really young age that I had different hairstyles, like shaved my head in different ways, dyed my hair since I was, you know, I think 13 years old and started being really creative with my, the way that I dressed. So I was like goth and I was punk rock and I was kind of hippie and I was like the grunge thing. And I just sort of did everything and was anything that 
would, I guess, allow me to stand out in a little bit of a way because I felt like me as a person, I wasn't super comfortable with speaking and engaging with people. And so this was my way of sort of breaking the ice in a lot of ways. And especially moving around as a, a lot as a kid, I was constantly in the scenario of having to make new friends and reintegrate into new schools. And so it was a lot easier if I sort of stood out and people, it was like a conversation starter, or it would attract people who were also interested in the same things as I was, like being creative and yeah, just being different. Mm. I have yet to see the hippie phase of Rachel McBride. Is there it was <laughs> before oh there were gosh. cameras. It was all mixed in. It was all mixed in with it. I remember when I started in the high school in grade nine in New Jersey and one of the seniors who I ended up having this super giant crush on, he said to me, he like took one look at me. This was like one of the first days of school. And he's like, you're like everything girl. Cause he's like, yeah, I had this like rainbow crocheted beret on and a Grateful Dead t-shirt and, you know, a flannel thing and, and cargo pants and steel-toed boots. And he's like, you just have everything there. Rach, that is one thing not many people would say about you. You are <laughs> most certainly not the everything. You are so very specifically you. <laughs> and I think to your point, I'm curious about standing out on a stage. And I mean, I guess now even more so as an adult, you're a performer, whether it's a musician or as an athlete. Uh, I think that, you know, a stage of racing, especially for you, you're off the front of the race, there's cameras on you, there's cameras on you when you're snotting, when you're taking water, there's cameras on you at the start line when nerves are high, there's cameras on you when you're speaking, whether it's, you know, with surgeons or, you know, elsewhere. And then there's a lot of your life that's not spent on a stage in preparation for you to get to a stage. And I'm wondering if you feel yourself in both scenarios, or does it feel any different for you, knowing that you're putting in so many hours of preparation in order for these moments when, you know, when you're asked to rise and perform? Um, different how? What do you mean? Well, if we're declaring that the most disruptive thing you can be is yourself, being mm-hmm. you in two very different environments, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, one environment mm-hmm, yeah. that's asking you to prepare for a stage yep. and another, which, you know, we can share that you spend a lot of solo hours training. Right. And, and how does that, and, and you're certainly not solo while racing. We could argue that I like to take a lot of pictures of you, but that's a little bit different than <laughs> the lead moto Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think that either as a musician or as an athlete, there is that the majority of the time that you spend in your art or your sport is in practice before actually performing. And so you have to be able to enjoy and embrace those times where it's just you and it's just you and your instrument or you and your workouts And to me, it's a fantastic balance between I don't always have to be in the limelight or in that camera lens. I love performing. That's what drives me to be an artist and what drives me to be an athlete. But I love that alone time. I love the practice that takes me to those stages. Do you have any, I mean, dare I say, tips or hints on how, how do you continually fall in love with the practice? of being alone or the practice of, you know, almost the the juxtaposition of stage light versus solo time? The 
Well, the great thing about triathlon is that you're training three sports. So Mm -hmm. to me, um, I am completely flabbergasted as to how myself, who kind of gets bored easily, has stayed in this sport now and been so obsessed with this sport now for like going on 13 years. It's crazy. I don't know how I've done it. But one thing is that, yes, there are three sports that I'm training. I get to travel the world with racing and that what keeps me motivated is knowing that I've got a start line coming up that I knowing that I have this performance that I have to do my best at and try and win basically Uh, is the bottom line (laughs) and that's definitely the biggest motivator for me is and I know that in those times either in the off season or um, injured when I don't have that start line deadline or that, you know, if I don't have something that I'm looking forward to, then I feel very, very lost. Mm. And I feel a lot less motivated to, to get out there and do my sport. And it's the same, you know, honestly, it's the same, for example, with my cello, I don't have anything that's motivating me right now to play. I don't have a performance. I had a performance for that surgeons conference. And so I prepared for it. And I was very motivated to sit down almost every day and play my cello. But right now, it's kind of on the back burner, because I don't have something coming up. And so I found that's just part of my personality is that I need something like that to motivate me to, to do what I need to do. And Mm -hmm. and so to spend that time, that quiet time or that alone time out of the spotlight, preparing for these big performances. Mm. I think it's so important beyond sport to acknowledge the power of a start line. And I've always said that I've loved start lines because they don't change. The race director and the community don't care if you're not ready. The start line is the start line. The gun will go when they say the gun will go. And it's very easy for many other things in life, especially in business and especially when running your own business, to change that deadline. It's okay. It can get pushed by a week. What, what about two weeks? It's like, no, it's, this is the deadline. This is the start line. And to just hear from your perspective the power of a start line, which, you know, in all fairness, there aren't a ton of them in a year for you. How many start mm-hmm. lines will you tow? Six? Eight? Yeah, probably about that. Yeah, six. About. And, and some are much bigger than others. Yeah. But the reality is there are six deadlines that are non-negotiable. And you will show up on those come hell or high water, hopefully yeah. the healthiest version of you possible. Yeah. And I love that in being the most disruptive version of yourself, you can be you in every moment leading up and up to that moment to be the best reach. And that's it. I want to talk about start lines, about the people that show up specifically on these start lines. And you can riff in any way you want here. Admittedly, I'm very passionate about the gender conversation, both in the business world right now and specifically within a sport that we love known as triathlon. I appreciate you sharing with us how you felt about yourself very early on, and I'm sure it's, it stayed the same. What are your thoughts on, on the gender game, on the world that is really, frankly, gender inequality right now? Yeah, I think right now we have a long way to go in the sport of triathlon uh, in terms of gender equality. And I think it is, the bottom line is that we need more women to be participating in sport. And how does that happen? Well, you know, I think that if people see 
in the media and and their social in social media and on TV if they see these female athletes going and doing their sport and being themselves and having these awesome successes that can be really inspiring to people to go out and be their own athlete and say hey I you know I saw this woman that I super identify with on TV or on social media doing this sport I I wonder if I can do that too I mean, I distinctly remember, I thought Ironman was crazy. I hadn't, I thought about doing triathlon, but like Ironman just seemed like nuts. And then I saw Lisa Bentley speak in Ottawa at the running room and it totally put things in perspective. It was like, wow, there's this woman up there. She looks super fit. She looks amazing. She's so positive and awesome. And she's talking about doing this sport and it's like, it made it a reality for me. Like, Oh, okay. Well, if she can do it, then maybe I can do it. And I think, honestly, I think it's a, it's then a vicious circle between needing to get women more visually like female athletes more visually in the media. And so what does that mean? That means equal media time for men and women at Kona it means equal media time in smaller races and more support from at the local level of women in sport. And that also means that the businesses that invest in triathlon also need to step up. It's sort of like this circle that where everybody sort of needs to, needs to step up and try and encourage more women in sport and at least show them as equals so that women will feel as equals and be accepted as equals. Right. So 13 years ago, I mean, this is super special because Lisa Bentley is now your run coach. So talk yeah. full circle. And it was really awesome to be in Kona this year with Lisa, um, <clears throat> cheering for you, of course. And I am curious in your 13 years, do you think you have seen the needle move some or enough? Have you noticed a change? I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know if I've paid much attention. I honestly feel like, I do feel like there are more and more pro women showing up on start lines and sort of giving the the pro life a try. I I honestly haven't looked at stats in terms of like, are there more oh. women signing up and are there more women in races? But I do, I believe that there are more and more women, especially in North America. In Europe, it's definitely a, still a lot more mm, imbalanced. Hmm. I have two questions on this for you. The first is you speak of mentors or of like in, people that are inspiring to you. And now, of course, you're on that sort of tippy end of the other side that people are all looking to you and thinking, hmm. I either want to dye my hair or be like Rachel McBride with a six pack or off the front of the race. And I'm curious now, who do you look to or who do you garner the same respect for that keeps you inspired about what's possible for you? I have two different avenues of people that are inspiring. So like one avenue would be those folks who are out there being themselves, being in their own body, being them, their creative selves. And that the biggest example that comes to mind, of course, is Kaylee Humphreys, who is just like... Uh, yeah, I super, super look up to that woman, her message and how she portrays herself sort of sort of unabashedly is really awesome. And then the other side of things are um, those women who are really pushing the limits and are just who are working really hard 
and pushing the sport to a new level. I have a lot of respect and, and hopefully everyone is doing this ethically and with a clean slate. A clean um, blood test. A clean blood test. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just seeing people like Daniela Reef, like Lucy Charles, who are just like pushing the envelope of what women are capable of in, in the sport. And even going into especially people on my radar in the ultra running community, like Courtney DeWalter, who are just like, you know, winning races outright by huge margins. It's just incredible to see. That's super true. It's really phenomenal to see. I think the ultra running scene is the first place that we really are seeing women win races outright in a sport. And it's pretty freaking phenomenal. Yeah. Undeniably. Yeah. Yeah. The other topic that I love chatting with you about is, I mean, naturally I am drawn to the binary conversation of more women showing up on start lines. And in 2019, it almost feels short-sighted because I am fully aware that there is another beautiful group of people that we eliminate when we continue to speak about the gender conversation in a binary fashion. And Mm. I would love your thoughts on the inclusivity of the trans folks that might not feel as comfortable or what other groups I'm missing when I speak so often in the male and female. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the next phase as well is just understanding that, I mean, just again, the acceptance of, of people and their gender identity being able to compete in the category that they, that they want to and that they identify with. Yeah, I think that's the, it's definitely becoming more and more. Of course, we see a lot more just open arms to trans folk in general. And so now it's becoming more and more in sport. And I think it's an important conversation to, to keep open and for everybody to have an open mind. And I think the biggest thing that people can be if they don't understand or they have questions is to, is to ask those questions and for everybody to sort of be open to the conversation about gender and gender identity in sport. Mm. I think it's, it's actually gender or gender identity in life and sport is mm. a super particular avenue Absolutely. dealing with the binary so often. Um, yet it's super relevant in organizations because in the business world, we live in wanting there to be, you know, a gender balanced leadership team. And yet the trans folks still don't know which washroom to use comfortably because we mm-hmm. still have male and female washrooms, for instance, right. in the office. Yeah. And this is a great example that I know I learn from you constantly around being more open and being more empathetic to where they're coming from instead of jumping to conclusions, incorrect conclusions that I have really based in on nothing that I bring into every area of my life. I think about it in the realm of sport and then I think, well, sport is different than business and it's actually not it's the same that if a ceo is up for asking the same questions that a race director is up for asking then how can we be you know more understanding of where we're all coming from be it a start line or an interview and one thing i know for sure is that people and you know as a female identified human i don't want to be part of your statistic i don't want you to only ask me to come and speak so you reach your female quota at this conference. And I don't think anyone wants to be a part of a statistic. So Mm -hmm. there's something to that that I think is important. Can I ask you one more question, Rach? 
Yeah. I want to know about 13 years as an athlete, nine years as a professional athlete, you continue to get faster, stronger, dare I say, more badasser. <laughs> you, you have a bigger six pack now at your sweet age than you did when you started the sport. And it's phenomenal. And I want to know if you've always had a relationship with your body that said, I'm strong and awesome. I... No, I have, n- I have not always had such a relationship with my body that has been so positive. I think that, of course, being an athlete and seeing my body transform into something that I feel more comfortable in has absolutely allowed me to be more, uh, more confident and to be sort of more out there with my body. And of course, I am one of those people who is genetically graced with the ability to have a six pack. And I know that not all female bodies or male bodies or other are able to do that. And, um, and so I'm also super aware, I guess I become a little bit hypersensitive sometimes to the fact that, yeah, there are lots of pictures of my six pack on the internet and how, and the impact that that might have on people who will that's just not a body that they will ever have and so even my own confidence now is still laced with not necessarily an insecurity but uh, a worry that somehow it's affecting somebody else negatively Hmm. but I think that I became more comfortable or was just like started to become more comfortable in my own skin even before I was an athlete. And I don't, I can't really pinpoint why that happened. I think that part of it is just being, you know, I talked about before we started this being at the University of Guelph and being in a residence called Arts House that was just like super open and everybody was their creative selves and everybody was just accepted for who they were. And everybody was a little bit different and it was just normal. And I think that really helped me be the person that I am today. It's incredible. And it's so, of all the things I love about you, your ability to just appreciate where other people are at in their own journey of this lifetime is incredible. And I think it's really easy to look at someone like you and create stories that it's so easy (laughs) being being strong. And you're consciously making choices to log hours at the gym, lifting really heavy things and knowing that those experiences transform your body and your quads and that there's no judgment on how other people look. And I bring this question up because I think it's full circle of, the most disruptive thing we can be is ourselves. And you just continue to fine tune this instrument as an athlete known as yourself. And yet you do so with a lot of grace and humility to wherever other women are at, that there isn't an expectation that, you know, you're this bikini runner chick on Instagram looking a certain way, or that you have to look a certain way to race at the level that you're racing at. I mean, the start line is full of many different body types. The people you're looking up to are, you know, radically different visually. And at the end of the day, the only thing they share in common is a whole lot of guts and a whole lot of grit to just be the (sighs) best version of themselves in whichever way. I mean, Kaylee is a bobsledder and Daniela is a triathlete. (laughs) Lucy was a former, you know, open water swimmer. All very different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People ask me all the time, oh, what do you eat? Or like, how do I, how do I look that way? 
and I'm just like, it's an, imp- I can't, I've been a full-time high performance athlete for going on nine years now. I don't, I eat a shit ton of mayo. I, I don't, this is just how my body has transformed itself because of the sport that I'm doing. And I, I don't, I don't eat anything specific. I don't, it's just hours and the hard work that I've put into this. And I don't have a day job. Like this is what I do for work. I train absolutely. and race for work. And absolutely that not all of my fellow pro athletes are showing up with a six pack on the start line. Still people without six packs are kicking my ass. Can you <laughs> so, believe it? Yeah. The only <laughs> you don't thing need I- to have a six pack. <laughs> The only thing I think is important and we'll include in the show notes is that while you may eat anything, you do have an awesome specific diet that you do follow in the name of a healthy gut, which is low FODMAPs. And I think it's cool to acknowledge that you make choices around how your, your digestive system will allow you to run really. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really cool because it's not about physical appearance there is nothing in this for vanity. This is how can I run the fastest? And you have done lots of things and you have found one system to work really well for you. So I'll make sure we share that in the notes below. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's not the funnest thing because it means I have to give up all the tasty things like avocado and mango and watermelon. Uh, So it's not the funnest diet ever, (laughs) but it is what it is. Oh gosh. Well, I love this. I want to end with a this or that game. Can we play this or that black and white? This is the most binary I'll ever get, Rachel McBride. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Dog or cat? Cat. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Phone call or text? I'm going on the phone call these days. Hmm. Music or podcast? Podcast. Form or function? Function. Pop or indie? Indie. Oh, big party or small gathering? Small gathering. Work hard or play hard? Play hard. That's the same thing, isn't it? Not for everyone. (laughs) In my life. (laughs) What's worse, laundry or dishes? Dishes. Bath or shower? Shower. Sneakers or sandals? Sneakers. Do we have a sponsor plug? A sponsor plug? All of the sponsors. Topo. Oh, Topo as we move sneakers. on. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Email or letter? <laughs> Email. Passenger or driver? Driver. Intelligent or funny? Most important in a partner. Intelligent. Car or truck? A truck if I can live in it. I thought you'd say neither and you're fixie. <laughs> Money or free Trick time? Question. <laughs> free time. Coke or Red Bull? Both. I think it depends upon which mile I'm asking you that question. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Paper cup or thermos? Thermos. Train or plane? Train. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Hot coffee. Sweet or salty? Yes. Meat or vegetables? (laughs) Vegetables. More vegetables than less, right? Yes. That's it. We Aww. wrap every po- we wrap every podcast with my favorite question before it gets too giggly around here. <laughs> Rach, what's making your heart beat faster? Well, besides spending so much time with you, 
I would say that my bullet journal, which is actually you inspired because it means I absolutely gets, it gets me, it's gotten me way more organized and I love your love of lists. I love lists like you love lists, maybe not as much, but my bullet journal and all of the colored pens that I've just gotten too, so I can make it a little bit creative and colorful. So I get to be organized and creative and check things off of my list. I would just like to acknowledge that um, you've come a long way in expressing your creative self. <laughs> and I think if your roommates in Guelph knew that your bullet journal with a few markers <laughs> allowing you to express your creative genius, uh, they might be surprised. But I have to agree that getting shit done feels good. And yeah the purpose of this lifetime is to feel good, then we're doing a good job. All right. Amazing. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thanks I for having me. I will see you very soon. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>